The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Good morning, New Life. Morning. All right, let's start with a little group participation, a little get to know you game. If you're online, you can respond via the chat. If you're here in person, you can raise your hand and let's see if, well, your spouse agrees with you in this question. All right. So who here would consider themselves a spender and who here would consider themselves a saver? All right. Who here is a spender? Anybody like to spend? Okay. So you, who here is more of a saver? Okay, yeah, you got your thermostat set to 78 and you're sleeping in the basement right now. I get you. I get you. That's me. I'm a saver. I'm definitely a saver, no doubt about that. Let me share this one story that illustrates some of my frugalness. So several years ago, before I moved to Northern Virginia, was living in Buffalo, where I'm from, and some of my friends, they wanted to go golfing. They said, Sean, you got to come golfing with us, in which I really wasn't into that because I'm like golfing's expensive. And, you know, I grew up playing golf, played it fourth grade throughout high school, was on the golf team in high school, but they wanted me to play with them. So I was like, all right, I'll go. And so I went to my parents' house, dusted off my old golf clubs. It hasn't seen any, you know, work in years and years and years. And so I, we get to the first hole and I look in my bag and I've got one golf ball. I've got one golf ball, which if you play golf, you know, you should probably have more than one golf ball because you tend to lose some of them. So I, I go to my friend and say, hey, I've got one golf ball. Like, would you guys mind spotting me a couple balls? And they said, no, you cheap. Go to the pro shop and get some. And I said, no. Like, I've played golf for years and years and years all throughout high school, but I haven't played in years, and I never bought a golf ball ever. Like, my grandfather would give me egg cartonfuls of them. Our golf coach would give us golf. I've never bought a golf ball. I'm not going to buy them now that I never play. I said, I'm just going to keep track of this one golf ball, and I'll be good. I'll be good. Here we go. And so I put my golf ball on the tee, Swing, first shot, right into a pond, right into a pond. They start laughing. My friend, oh, you better run to the pro shop and get some golf balls now, Sean. I'm like, no, I'm going to find that golf ball. I'm going to find that golf ball. So I I go to that pond undeterred. I kind of speed walk to this pond, and luckily it hadn't rained in several weeks. And so the water line of this pond had receded. And in the bank of the pond, I found 22 golf balls. Got my towel out, cleaned it off, put it in my golf bag. Who's laughing now, Jeremy and Chris? That's right. And sometimes, sometimes I've seen frugalness lead to an abundance. I've certainly seen that true. When people, when they follow the voice of the good shepherd, yes, he's able to make an abundance prevail where scarcity used to live. That's what we're going to be talking about today as we continue our series through Psalm 23, verse 5, it says this, that, hey, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runneth over. My, my cup overflows. We're going to talk about how we follow the good shepherd so that he gives us blessings that run over, that overflow. But before we get there, let me offer a word of prayer and ask God to, to speak to us this morning, to be a part of this conversation. Let's pray. Hey, Heavenly Father, 
God, as we open up your word, we ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would convict us, that, that we would be able to trust you more today. Take another step of obedience towards you so that we can, yeah, experience you as the good shepherd who allows our cup to overflow. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, so as we explore this idea of, of our cup overflowing, let's go to the good shepherd himself. Jesus identified himself in John chapter 10 as the good shepherd. And let's see him in action turning scarcity into abundance in Matthew chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 14. In this passage, we see a group of thousands of people coming, flocking to Jesus. And the Bible describes them as sheep without a shepherd. You know, that they're harassed. They are making unwise decisions. They are not experiencing God's blessings in their lives. And so Jesus looks at this crowd and he begins leading them down right paths. He begins teaching them about following God. And he preaches for hours, right? It's not the service you want to bring your friend to. Like, I don't know, like at some point the disciples are like, hey, we got to wrap this up, Jesus. Like, check your watch. Like, come on, let's wrap this up, Jesus. This is verse 15 of Matthew 14. When evening came, the disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted. And it's already late. Send the crowds away so they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. You know, Jesus, check your watch, okay? People have come from a long distance and they got a long, they got a long walk back home. And I mean, if we don't send them away now, McDonald's is going to close. They won't be able to get food to, get, to stain them on their way home. Send them away now, Jesus. And so Jesus listens to it and he's like, I got a better idea, guys. Here we go. He says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Like, what? Jesus, I don't, I, don't, I don't think you're making sense here. Like, there are thousands, 5,000 men plus women and children. Like, you want us to give them something to eat? Philip, one of the disciples, I think he was one, maybe one of the frugal guys because he starts getting out his abacus and he starts calculating how much it's going to cost them to feed this whole crowd. He crunches the numbers and he comes back to Jesus and says, are you nuts? It would cost more than six months of my wages to be able to feed this whole crowd. We can't afford that, Jesus. While, while he's calculating how much it's going to cost, Andrew, one of the disciples, he's out in the crowd and he starts looking for food. He's like, well, maybe this isn't so bad. Maybe people have food and they can give food to one another and maybe that'll be enough. And so he comes back and, oh, guys, it's worse than expected. Like the only buddy who has food here is this little boy and he's just got a sack lunch that he brought with him, five loaves and two fish. That's all the food that we have for all of these people. I mean, that's not going to go far enough. But Jesus says, give it to me. G give it to me. This is verse 18. Bring them here to me. Bring me the fish and the loaves, he said. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. Right? What is Jesus? He's being the good shepherd. He's making them lie down in green pastures. And then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. So I don't know if this is exactly how it happened and transpired, but I imagine it kind of went something like this. Peter, as kind of the ringleader of the disciples, the outspoken one, he gets up, hey guys, thank you for coming. That was a good sermon, Jesus, good a little long, a little long, but it was good, okay? And I know you guys are in a rush to get home, like you're hungry, you want to get to Chick-fil-A before it closes, okay? But I've got good news. Dinner's on us, guys. Dinner's on us. Everybody, we're going to get dinner for everybody. Looks down at the five loaves, two fish. 
Maybe, okay, maybe, don't, okay, don't take my word for it. We're going to try, I don't know, okay, hopefully. And, and, but then, you know, he, he's, got the, he's got what he's got, and he says, Jesus said, go give it out. And so he starts giving it out. And I don't know if you've ever been in charge of, like, feeding people maybe for a party you had, and you were trying to calculate how much food should we get, how many pizzas should we get, how many burgers should we get, and you're like, I'm thinking maybe 20 people, and so you got, like, you know, six pizzas, and then 35 people show up. And now you're on portion control, right? You've ever been there and you're like, I hope that person came. They already ate, hopefully. I hope that person doesn't take seconds. Like, whew, this is going to be tight. I think that's how probably Peter and the disciples were. They go to the first person. Here you go, take some. And, you know, the guy rips off. Easy, buddy. You're going to take the half of the loaf? Like, there's 5,000 hungry men and you're taking half. Have you not been to math class, buddy? But they, he just keeps giving, they just keep giving away these fish and loaves. And it, miraculously, it just multiplies. It just doesn't run out. The text says that everybody, 5,000 men plus women and children, have their fill. They're completely satisfied. And then the disciples go throughout the crowd and pick up the leftovers. And there's enough left over that each of the disciples takes a basketful home with them. Twelve basketfuls. A little doggy bag. To remind them of how Jesus loves to take our scarcity, the little bit that we have, and multiply it. Which footnote here, okay? If you ever have an event here at the end zone and you have leftover food, don't throw it out. Put in the fridge. Tom and I will eat it for lunch during the week, okay? Just letting you know. You know the disciples had these little go bags. They were like, man, this is what we get to eat all week. This is amazing. And, and if we are going to see this happen in our life, we're going to see God multiply the little bit that we have, the fish and the loaves, we've got to take some principles away from what the disciples did here. What did they do? Well, the first thing they do, they took the little bit that they had and they handed it over to Jesus. Right? Jesus said, hey, give me the fish and the loaves. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they were like, hey, let's send the people away and we can have this. But, but Jesus says, no, give it to me. Like, well, what are you going to do with it, Jesus? We don't, I don't, we don't know what you're going to do with it, Jesus. But they trusted him. And they gave over the little that they have so that Jesus could bless it. See, God doesn't bless greed. When, when we have our, all our money, all of our time, all of our possessions, and we hold it tight-fisted, just close to the chest, like, he's not going to bless that. He does not bless selfishness. He does not bless greed. No, he blesses generosity. And so they give it over to him and he, he blesses it. But then he gives it back to them, right? He gives it back to them and he trusts it to them. And he says, now you go and take it to the crowds, right? Jesus didn't feed the crowds. He gave it back to his disciples so that they could feed the crowds. See, Jesus doesn't bless us so that we can keep it to ourselves. No, he blesses us so that we can bless other people. Luke 6 puts it this way. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Yes, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. See, God, he, he, he blesses us, but he doesn't say, hey, I'm going to bless you so that you can keep it to yourself. I'm going to give it to you so that you can then give it away to others. James 4, 3 says this, hey, you ask, right? You pray for certain things. You want God to bless you in certain parts of your life, like you ask for that promotion. Or you ask for that new job. You ask for this, for this, this, this help, this healing. Okay, but why do you ask, James asks. He says, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Right? What are, so think about your prayers. Is it selfish or is it because I just want to be a blessing to other people, God? Proverbs eleven twenty five puts it this way, that a generous person will prosper. Yes, a generous person will prosper. And who, who refreshes others, he who takes their cup and gives it to somebody else, he who refreshes others will be refreshed. 
Joel Bates is an executive director of Discovery Ministries, which is a Christian wilderness camp. And we went to the same college. And we went to this really small conservative Bible college. When he was taking this class, Ancient History of Israel, his class was working through the Old Testament scriptures, and they got to Deuteronomy chapter 14. Would you have ever read Deuteronomy 14 in this chapter? God tells the Israelites that they needed to start putting him first in their finances and needed to start tithing, you know, giving 10% of their income back to him. And Joel was like, wow, that's, I mean, that's a challenge. Like, I'm a poor college student, but maybe I should start doing this. And so he went to church that next Sunday. And again, this conviction when offering time came around, like, maybe I should start tithing. Maybe I should start obeying God here. Well, he had $5 in his pocket, which was a tithe for him because he made $50 that week. So he just so happened to have this $5 in his pocket, but that was the only money he had. Like he didn't have any money in a bank account. He didn't have any money in his mattress. He's a poor college student. He's got $5 to his name. And so he's like, all right, God, I'm going to trust you here. And he puts the money in the offering plate. And in that time in our school's history, the cafeteria didn't, come, didn't open up on Sundays, right? If Chick-fil-A can stay closed on Sunday, so can our cafeteria, okay? So we had to fend for ourselves. So he has no hope of eating unless God shows up, unless God shows up. So he's, he goes back to his dorm room. He starts studying. He's like, God, I trust you. Like, if you want me to fast, I'll fast, but it'd be great if you could provide. Okay, here we go. And his stomach is growling. Six o'clock rolls around, and he's just so hungry. He's like, I need to distract myself. Our college did not allow us to have TVs in our dorm room, so he goes down to the dorm lobby to start watching some TV to try to distract himself. And he gets there, and there's this group of guys huddled around this table and he says, Joel, come on over here, buddy. Someone just donated all these sub sandwiches to the college. You got to come have one. And Joel's like, oh man, thank you, God. Thank you, God. So he sits down, starts eating the sub sandwich when in walks a student who worked at Pizza Hut and he's got 10 pizzas in his hands. 10 uneaten pizzas. Hey guys, these were left over. Nobody's touched them. They're perfectly good. I've eaten all that I could eat. You got to have some. And he just leaves the 10 pizzas there. So Joel's now got a large pizza to himself. He wraps up his sub sandwich. I'll, I'll save this for later. When in walks another student, he says, hey guys, I was just at this church function and I won this 12 pack of Coke. I'm allergic to caffeine. I can't drink it. Here you go. And so now he's, he's down on his pizza with this Coke and he's got a sub for later. And then when in walks another student, in walks another student, he says, hey guys, my, my, my church is having a barbecue for college students. They sent me here to round up all the hungry kids. Who's hungry? Come with me. At this point, Joel just looks up to heaven and says, now you're just showing off. Like, thank you, God. And yet over and over and over again, I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in scripture that God says, hey, you trust me in, my, in your finances and I'll show up. Watch out. He says, Malachi 3.10. He says, bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. He says, test me in this way. Say to the Lord of armies, see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. You know, I, I, I know that some preachers, they kind of shy away from talking about money at church and talking about giving because they don't want to be accused of the, the preacher that just cares more about your money than about people. I mean, but I love teaching about money and about generosity because of the way that it strengthened my relationship with God, the way that I've seen God work in my life through that. You know, for me, I'll admit I'm a Buick, okay? I'm, I'm a brought up in church kid, Okay? Like we, we were always at church, always at church. And, you know, as a kid, giving was really easy. You know, I loved giving. I would go to vacation Bible school and I'd go to church camp and we'd have missionaries come and they, we would always take up offerings for them. And I love that. 
right? They would come, and they really knew how to pull on our heartstrings, right? You know, they'd, they'd put up that picture of that kid in Africa, you know, that doesn't have access to clean water and doesn't know about Jesus. Do you want to give kids? Yeah, yeah, we do. And, you know, it's like worse than a Sarah McLaughlin SPCA commercial. You know, the cat's got one eye. In the arms of an angel. Yeah, yeah, I want to give. I want to give. You know, and not only would they, like, start pulling our heartstrings, you know, they would have a competition. They'd be like, who's going to give more? Who's going to give more, the boys or the girls? Right? And as a, as a prideful young man, I'm like, the boys are going to give more, right? And so any money I had, any money I had, it would go to the offering. And I loved giving as a kid. And well, then I went to college, okay? And then I traveled a thousand miles from home. And all of a sudden, now I'm like, okay, this whole giving thing's become real, okay? I'm like, now I got bills to pay. Now I got to figure out, so how am I supposed to pay for college? How am I supposed to pay for my books? How am I supposed to pay for food? How am I supposed to pay for clothes? How am I supposed to pay for haircuts? No, I, I never paid money for haircuts. You know, do it yourself, okay? It's not so bad, right? Okay, but so I went to college and I went to this conservative Christian college where I was studying to go into ministry, studying the Bible, right? Hearing about how we should honor God in our finances. You know, and I, I had this wrestling match with God, right? Some of my, you know, I was hearing, but, but God, like, I'm giving my life to you. Like, come on, I'm going to this college where we learn about you in class. I mean, and, and then we go to chapel and we sing songs to you. Our professors are Christians. So pretty much isn't my tuition like a tithe, right? It's like I'm giving to the church, right? 100%, 100% is going to this. But then I heard God say, so, so one day you're going to maybe stand up in front of people and tell them to trust God with their finances. So are you going to do it or are you going to be a hypocrite, Sean? Are you going to put your money where your mouth is, Sean? All right, God, you put it that way? Okay, let's see. Here we go. And I remember the most I ever made in a week during college was this landscaping job that I had. I made $250. So I remember writing that first check of $25 and thinking, wow. Now, I, I wasn't thinking about money. I was thinking, God, you know how many, how many packets of ramen noodles? That's a semester's worth of ramen noodles there. I could buy some saltine crackers as well. Are you sure, God? But I remember giving and just trusting God. It's like, I don't know how I'm going to afford college anyway, so you're going to have to help me anyway. So here we go. And, and, and all of a sudden, scholarships started coming in that I was not expecting. Like, where'd that come from? Uh, and all of a sudden, people started giving me jobs. Hey, would you come work for me? Y yeah. And somehow, I was able to make it through college and graduate school without ever having to take out a student loan, which just seemed impossible. But God provided you know, there, there was one semester where I was in between jobs, and so I wasn't tithing, I wasn't giving on a regular basis, but I felt I needed to still contribute to this church where I was serving, and we were about 60 people, a small little church, and I was like, well, maybe, maybe I should sign up and bring the hospitality snacks one week, because everyone was kind of on rotation, you would sign up, so I was like, all right, God, I'm going to sign up, I'm going to trust that you will provide. And so I sign up, I'm like, I don't know, I'm buy some donut holes or something, okay? And once you know that later that week, I go to my mailbox, and inside is a letter from my grandmother saying, hey, Sean, I was just thinking about you, praying for you, thought you could use a little extra money this week. And inside was a check for $30, enough to pay for the donuts. It's just over and over again, God would always provide just when I needed it. And I think, pretty, pretty sure, it's because I started trusting him with my finances. And see, see part of the benefit of putting God first in your finances is not just because you see him provide, and, but, but because you learn to trust him. You learn to trust him. And when you learn to trust him with your finances, that overflows, that spills over into other, other areas of your life, 
right? You're saying, okay, if I can trust him with my finances, then I can trust him with my marriage, right? I, I can trust that I should forgive even when it doesn't make sense when I'm hurt. I can learn to love my enemies when that doesn't make sense, right? I, I can learn to, to trust God that he knows what is best for me, even when the Bible makes makes claims that's like, what? You want me to save myself for marriage? That doesn't make sense. That's not what the world says. Sean, are you going to trust me? And when we begin to trust him in those areas of our lives, we receive blessings that overflow. He blesses those relationships. But, but another way that he begins to bless us is through contentment. You know, when we begin to give sacrificially to kingdom causes, to missionaries, to the church, our heart our heart begins to change. Our heart's desires change. You know, Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6, 21. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When you're spending your money, if you're constantly spending your money, your time, your attention on buying things on Amazon, you know, getting a new car, getting that new gadget, gizmo, thing for your house, you know what your heart begins to long for more and more? Stuff possessions. Your heart wants more of it. But when you start investing into the kingdom and you start hearing reports back from the field of missionaries and church planters and seeing lives that are being transformed, all of a sudden your heart becomes glad. All of a sudden those are the things you celebrate. All of a sudden those are the things you want more of. And all of a sudden you realize, you look at your stuff and you say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have everything that I need. I don't need that new car. My car is fine just the way that it is. And you get more contentment when you learn to put God first in your finances. You know, some of us, we're in trouble financially because we're being selfish. Haggai 1.6 says this, you have planted much but harvested little, right? You've worked hard, but still you're struggling to make ends meet. You eat but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink but never have enough to be happy. You, you put on clothes but never have enough to get warm. You earn, the wage earner puts his wages in bags with holes in it. Your money just doesn't go as far when you're being selfish. God's not blessing that. Verse 9 says why. He says, you expected much, but then it amounted to little. You, you brought the harvest into your house and I ruined it. Okay, thanks for being frank. Thanks for being honest, God. Okay, why? He says, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. Right, he told that to the Israelites that have just come back from captivity in Babylon. Perhaps they saw the houses there, right? Oh man, the garden, we got to have that. We got to have that new, that new refrigerator. We need to have that new garden. We need to have that new kitchen, that new bathroom. All the while, God's temple is lying in ruins. He's saying, hey, I'm not going to bless you if you're just going to be selfish. But I will bless you if you're going to be generous. Robert Morris is a pastor in Texas and before he was a pastor, he loved just teaching God's Word, and so he set up this little business where he would go and travel and talk to churches and conferences and organizations. And all the money he would get, his whole income was based upon what these churches would give him. And he didn't ask for anything, but oftentimes they would take up a little offering at the end, and whatever they gave him, he lived off of. And so one month, he said he only had one speaking engagement for the whole month. But he says, God, I trust you're going to provide. And so he goes to this small little church, 60 people, and, and he speaks, and then at the end of this service, the pastor gets up and says, hey, we're going to take a love offering, so be generous. So they take up the offering, and the counting team counts it up, and then the treasurer hands the pastor the check. He looks at it and goes, wow, like, the church has never been this generous before. This is a big check. 
So, so Robert takes it, looks at it, he says, man, this is amazing, God, thank you. Like, this is, this is all that we need for our month. Like, this is going to cover all of our expenses for the month. Thank you, God. But then he hears God say, you need to give that away. You know that, that missionary who got up before you, who shared that report? You need to give that check to him, Robert. And at first, Robert's like, that can't be God. That, that can't be God. Like, it must have been like a bad burrito or something. Like, that, that cannot be God. God, that, you, wouldn't let, you wouldn't tell me to do that. Like, you have provided exactly what I need for this month. So clearly, you want me to keep this to myself, right? And God just kept on convicting you. No, you need to give it to that missionary. So Robert says, all right, God, you win. And so people were leaving, and he sees the missionary, he goes over there, he endorses the check, signs it over to him, and just folds it up and says, hey, God told me to give this to you. It's a, it's a large check. Don't look at the number, and don't let anybody know that I, I did this, okay? So he, he does that, and they, he and his wife go to leave, and they're walking to their car when some people from the church say, hey, hey, would you guys like to come to dinner with us? And Robert's like, yeah, because we're broke, okay? Like, yeah, as long as you're buying, Okay. And so they go and get pizza with these six couples, and the guys are at this end of the table, the ladies are at that end of the table, and Robert's sitting across from kind of the ringleader of this group. He said he had met him once before on a hunting trip, but wasn't a friend, just kind of knew him as an acquaintance, and so he kind of leans in across the table at Robert, and he's like, okay, this guy wants to talk to me, I guess, so Robert leans in, and he goes, where's the check? And Robert's like, I don't know what to say. Like, I don't want to brag and be like, yeah, I, you know, I gave it to that poor missionary. I'm really generous. Like, he's like, he just heard words come out of his mouth. Debbie has it. My wife, I think she's got it. And so he's like, okay, go get it. Okay. And so he goes over this, you know, end of the table. So how's your pizza? I, I, I don't know. I just, okay, okay. You know, he comes back. He's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Like, what are, you don't say. He comes back. I, I, I think it's in the car. I think it's in the car. And he's like, I wasn't lying. It was probably in the missionary's car, right? It was probably in the missionary's car by this point. The guy says, it's not in the car. And he's like, oh, then where is it? Like, Mr. Know-it-all, like, what are you talking about? What are you doing here? He goes, you gave it away, didn't you? He's like, how do you know that? Did you see me? He goes, God told me. Like, what? You talking about God? Are you crazy? And this guy takes out a check that he had written before coming to church that Sunday, and he hands it across the table to Robert, and Robert grabs it, but the guy's not letting go. You know, Robert's like, okay, this is awkward. You can let go now. Okay, give it to me. The guy says, no, I'm not going to. He goes, God is giving you this check. He has told me to give you this check so that you can teach the church about generosity. Robert's like, okay, and he takes the check, and he opens it up, and it's to the cent, to the penny, 10 times the amount of the check that he had given to the missionary. And with that check, his, he and his wife were able to buy a car for a, a single mom and, and a missionary who needed a vehicle overseas because he said, we can't outgive God. Like, like God has, has proven that he is more generous than we will ever be and he's got us taken care of. You see, you see, I know some of us, we really want that to happen. Like we want to see God move. We want to be generous. But before that will happen for some of us, we got to deal, deal a death blow, do some business with the enemies that are at the table around us, right? God has prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And for some of us, those enemies are our credit card debt, that, that, that car payment for that car that we really didn't need but really, really wanted. You know, that, that country club membership, that boat, that we never use, but man, it's a money pit. It always takes so much money to maintain the daily trips to Starbucks, our spending habits. You know, and some of us would really do well to 
take the advice of these financial experts. Let's watch the video. numbers to add up. It's like we're never gonna get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? <laughs> Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. <laughs> If you don't have any money, you should not buy anything. Hmm, sounds interesting. Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey. This makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? I tell you where and how in chapter three. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? No. <laughs> now I'm really confused. It's a little confusing at first. Well, what if you have the money? Can you buy something? Yes. Now take the money away. Same story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. I think I got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? No. You make sure you have money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't you buy it before you have the money? No. Why not? It's in the book. It's only one page long. <laughs> the advice is priceless, and the book is free. Wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, we can put it on our credit card. <laughs> so get out of debt now. Write for your free copy of Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. And if you order now, you'll also receive Seriously. If you don't have the money, don't buy it. Along with a 12-month subscription to Stop Buying Stuff magazine. So order today. Yeah, and in some ways it's that simple. We got to stop buying stuff that we can't afford. But before we can get there, before we can kind of control our spending habits, we got to peel back the onion and say, what's at the root of those spending habits? You know, some of us were kind of masking over some negative emotions, some sadness that we're experiencing. That's a trigger for us to go to Amazon and buy that thing. Makes us feel happy for a moment. Or we, or we feel like we're out of, we don't have control in our lives, but in that moment when we're buying that thing, all of a sudden we feel empowered. We're in control now. Or, or for some of us, we have this deep wound of people who have told us that we're not good enough. And we're trying to compensate by buying, you know, those expensive clothes. We're trying to drive that new car. We're trying to live in that neighborhood, have that big house. So then finally we can impress people and finally feel like we are good enough. You know, some of us would benefit by coming and participating in our Celebrate Recovery ministry where we're working on finding healing from our hurts, hangups, and bad habits and getting to the root of the problem so we can be financially free. Some of us would benefit from our Financial Peace University group. We've got a group going on right now. We'd love to start a, another group that's going to help you develop a budget and take baby steps to get out of debt. If you're interested in participating in this, we would love to have a new class start in the fall. Would you email fpu at newlife.church letting us know that you're interested. 
You know, most of us, we would really benefit from joining Dale Spaulding in his lunch packing club, all right? Dale Spaulding, some of you know him. He stands in the back oftentimes. Well, Dale Spaulding, several years ago, he felt the call to go into ministry, to leave his job at Boeing, to come work at our church. But he knew for that, like, he was going to make some financial sacrifices. He was going to be making a fraction of what he made in the business world to do that. But he knew he could do that. He knew he could trust God because he had been doing that for several years, And then him and his wife, they downsized, moved from their big house to a small little condo because he knew his identity, his worth, his value was not wrapped up in the house that he lived in. He came to work for our church, and one Monday he was sitting around the tables in meeting room two where we were having staff meeting. We would eat lunch together. People would bring their lunches. And he looks around the room, and he sees people with Moe's bags and Chipotle and Jersey Mike's, and he goes, what are you guys doing? Like, I know you don't make much money. I know you you guys have no savings for retirement. What are you doing? And so he felt convicted. Like, I got to help these young poor pastors figure out how to save for retirement. And so he said, hey, can I teach a lesson, some staff meeting about this? And so he said, sure. So Dale did the math. He said, if you guys just pack your lunch, okay, if you just pack your lunch, you will save about $5 every day. Save about $5 every day. And I know that might not seem worth it, like a Moe's burrito versus a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but stick with me here, guys. And he says, that'll be $25 every week. He says, if you put that in a mutual fund that makes 8% over 30 years, he says, you know how much money you will have saved for retirement? Nearly $150,000. No money that, that you didn't already have. It's just you're reallocating it somewhere else. You're going to spend it somewhere else. You're just going to put it away. $36,000 would be what you put in. You made over $100,000 in interest alone. Right? Dale said, hey, guys, we can spend less, and that will put us in a position to give more. See, as I conclude, I want to make clear that when you give, when you put God first in your finances, it's not a guarantee that he's going to bless you with more money. It's not a a guarantee that all of a sudden you're going to be healthy all the time. Because if there was one group of people who deserved that, it would have been Jesus' 12 disciples. And, And one day, after Jesus has been talking about money and about giving, Peter looks at his financial situation, and he's like, I'm broke as a joke, Jesus. What are you talking about? He, says, he goes to Jesus, he says this, Matthew chapter 19. Peter responded to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. So what will there be for us? You know, when are we going to see this blessing, Jesus? Jesus responds, Jesus says to them, truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he says, and everyone, everyone, that includes you and me, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more, not 10 times more, a hundred times more, and will inherit eternal life. You a hundred times over the lifetime of eternity. It's a little bit better than 8% over 30 years. You know, the safest investment that you can make is to invest into the kingdom of God. Not only because it builds your trust in God, not only because, okay, it gives you more contentment, because a reward is waiting for you in heaven. Right? Jesus sees every penny that you give. He sees every time, every amount of energy that you give to his kingdom. And one day, you will be rewarded. One day, we will stand before the throne and we will give an account for everything that God has entrusted to us. On that day, will our cup be overflowing? Will your cup be overflowing? You want it to overflow, then pour it out. Give it out and watch God fill it up again so you can pour it out again 
And then just watch. Just watch in amazement how Jesus, the good shepherd, turns an abundance out of those small sacrifices. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we need your help. We need you to, to, to help us to grow our faith so that we can trust you, God. But God, I'll admit I'm selfish. God, I am greedy. You know that. And so I, I ask for your conviction, for your conviction upon me, upon everyone who is listening today that you would speak to us. You would give us a clear next step of, of how we can be more generous, how we can share your love, the resources that you've given us to the world around us, God. We thank you for Jesus who did not give 10%. He gave his all. He gave everything for us. We thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.